Uh, our reading today is uh, Psalm 66, if you'd like to turn there. Shout with joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praise to your name. Come and see what God has done, how awesome his works in man's behalf. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. He rules forever by his power. His eyes watch the nations. Let not the rebellious rise up against him. Praise our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you, vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you and an offering of rams. I will offer burnt I will offer bulls and goats. Come and listen, all who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth, his praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. Praise be to God, who has not re- who has not rejected my prayer or withheld His love from me. Let's turn also to one Peter chapter one, the first letter of Peter chapter one. One Peter chapter one. We're going to uh, look at verses six to nine in some detail, but let me read from verse one. One Peter one verse one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, and uh, in Greater Geelong. Um, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith 
of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. When you go through our church address book, there is something very striking about our church. Try it sometime. Go, just go through the names and what, what strikes you about it? As, as you do that, ask this question. How many of us are suffering? How, how many of us are going through physical or mental illness or, or trauma of some kind? How many of us are bearing what is, seems unbearable pain? How many of us have family and friends who are in that situation? Isn't it true that all of us suffer either ourselves or in those we love? Now, in, in saying that we all suffer, I'm not trying to minimise the very real suffering, the, the, the severe suffering that many of us are experiencing. But there's a sense in which all of us are dealing with some kind of suffering about about 20 years ago in, in my first church uh, in Sydney, I preached a sermon on Psalm 13. Uh, Psalm 13. Um, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? So I preached from that psalm, which is a lament, and I tried to speak about how to deal with trial and trouble and difficulty in our lives. And after the service, a woman came up to me and she really got stuck into me. Um, she said I had no right to preach that sermon. I had no right to preach a sermon about suffering. Um, I, I can still hear her voice breaking as she speaks. She spoke with bitterness. She, she had been suffering with unrelenting pain for many years. And it had debilitated her severely. And, and who was I? You know, uh, she said, uh, young, uh, healthy, handsome. Well, she needed glasses as well. But uh, he, here I was, uh, not a care in the world. And how, how could I dare to speak about suffering to her? What right did I have? Well, I didn't know what to say. Uh, you might be surprised, but I was lost for words. I didn't have an answer. I couldn't think of what to say in, in that situation. I, I don't think it would have been helpful to begin to trade stories about suffering. You know, um, uh, when I was a teenager, I had a, an injury in the, on the basketball court and uh, I did my back and I had to be in hospital for 10 days in traction. Then I had to wear a plaster cast that covered the whole of my upper body, up to my neck that is, <laughs> um, for three months. 
And then I had to have a, a number of months of physiotherapy to get my back up, back up to strength. I could have told her about that. Or I could have told her about my sister who died when she was 16, died of a horrific disease. But I don't think it would have been helpful for us to start trading suffering stories. Only later did I realise that she wasn't actually rejecting my words so much as she was rejecting what God says in his word about suffering and trouble. She was so bitter that she didn't want to hear what God might say in his word about suffering. All of us will experience suffering if we live long enough. And we are not the first set of people to think about these questions, are we? I mean, this has been a question for human beings right through our history as a human race. And, and Christians can find it really hard to deal with. Uh, if God is willing to bless us and able to bless us, then why? Well, we believe he is. We, we believe that God is willing to bless us. He is more than able to pour blessing into our lives. If that's true, then why do we need to deal with so much suffering? Is there any logic behind it? If God really loves the world, if he can do anything at all, then why do his people need to uh, bear so much heartache? Have you struggled with that question? I don't think I really even need to ask that question, really. I mean, if you have any sensitivity at all to your own pain or to the pain of other people, you have struggled with that question. And it's actually relatively easy to give a formal theological response. You know, one that makes logical sense. But cold logic can be cold comfort. And in these verses that we're looking at today, Peter does not offer cold comfort. Rather, his, word, his answer, his, his words here are extremely challenging, but at the same time deeply comforting, deeply encouraging. This is not the complete answer to the question of suffering, but it, it is part of the Bible's answer to how we should deal with, with this basic difficulty. Now, as I was studying verses 6 to 9, I found that this is really tough teaching. You know, this, this is not, it's not hard to understand, it's just really hard to cope with. In fact, I don't think that you can cope with verses 6 to 9 if you don't have already verses 1 to 5. Um, Verses 6 to 9 will seem unnecessarily brutal if you don't already have verses 1 to 5. Paul, uh, uh, Peter, Peter expresses this. He says in the way he opens it, he says in verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, though now you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. You know, In this, in what I've said you rejoice, and so now because you rejoice in these things, you're ready to deal with the pretty tough stuff that he says in verses 6 to 9. Now, I can't preach the sermon from last time again, uh, which dealt with the previous verses. But here are four things that you must be able to rejoice in if you are going to flourish even as you suffer. 
Four things. Rejoice that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And so uh, he has defeated death. He has defeated the power of suffering in your life. Secondly, rejoice that because of God's mercy, you have been given a new and irreversible status by being born again. And no amount of suffering in your life can change that. Thirdly, rejoice that your great inheritance is stored up for you in heaven in a safe place. It is unassailable. No matter what you suffer, it can't be taken away. And fourthly, rejoice that not only is your inheritance kept safe for you, you are kept safe for it and your suffering cannot defeat God. You see, one of the things you need to deal with suffering is truth. You might say, oh, doctrine. I don't want to deal with doctrine. Doctrine divides. But, but you, need, you need doctrine. You need truth. You need the words of verses 1 to 5 if you're going to take seriously verses 6 to 9. The truth that the truth about what God has done in Christ needs to grip your heart. Well, let's let's suppose that verses one to five are in place. Now let's go on to look at the difficult truth of verses six to nine. Peter's saying three things here about suffering. One, the suffering you experience is necessary. Two, the suffering you experience has a purpose. Three, the suffering you experience can have a magnificent outcome if you suffer well. Your suffering is necessary. Your suffering has a purpose. Your suffering can have a glorious outcome if you suffer well. First thing Peter says is that your suffering the suffering you experience is necessary. Verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. It may be better to think about these words in this way. Uh, though now for a little while you must suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Peter's not saying that all Christians must suffer all kinds of grief all the time. Rather he's saying that if, as a Christian, you are suffering grief and trials, they have come only because they are necessary in God's great and infinitely wise purposes. Are you able to accept that? Are you able to say that the suffering that you experience as a Christian, as one of God's people, is necessary. Are you able to say that your suffering is actually evidence of the love of God? Even your suffering is something that he is working out for your good. You see, here's one of the reasons why verses 6 to 9 are hard to take. 
if you haven't got verses 1 to 5 in place. We, we first need to know that God is utterly good and utterly for our good. We need to have that before we can accept that hard blows are necessary. Only if we are utterly secure in the love of God in Christ can we affirm that even our suffering is evidence that God loves us. It's so easy, isn't it? It's so easy to put our wisdom above God's. You know, we say, um, ah, we're, we're healthy and prosperous, and we say, ha, ah, God is blessing me. Or uh, we, our business fails and we, we, uh, we, we begin to really struggle with something, and we say, ah, God is punishing me for something. But that's, that's not God's wisdom, that's just our wisdom. Sometimes God's ways with us are, are enjoyable and rich. Sometimes they afflict us and distress us. But if we belong to God, then we know that what he is doing with us is for our good. All the suffering we endure is necessary. So that's our first, that, that's our first point. The, the suffering we endure is necessary. Just imagine if that was not the case. You know, um, you, you can imagine uh, some, other, some other scenario. Um, imagine, for example, that, uh, well, maybe we're suffering because God has lost control. You know, um, God really does care, but he, he can't actually do anything about it. He can't, he can't do anything about our suffering. Is that a good solution? Well, no, it means that it means that our world is headed nowhere. It means that if if God can't do anything about our suffering, then neither can he save us. That's not a good solution. Okay, well maybe there's another solution. Maybe um, maybe we're suffering for no reason. You know, God is indifferent. He doesn't care. Uh, some people suffer, some people don't. God is indifferent. God doesn't worry about the things of us, our things. Well, is that a good solution? No, of course it isn't. It, may, it makes God capricious. It makes God wicked. You, you can't trust a God who just acts like that. Only a God who has a loving purpose, even for our suffering, is someone that we can trust. And that God does have a loving purpose for our suffering is the next thing that Peter says. So firstly, the suffering you experience is necessary. Secondly, the suffering you experience has a purpose. Verse 7. These have come, that is, these sufferings have come, so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter's comparing faith to gold. Uh, it's a two-point comparison. Genuine faith is more precious than gold because even though gold is perishable, faith lasts forever. 
And then the second comparison is genuine faith is like gold in that it is tested and purified by the fires of trial. Now, you, prob- you may know that gold is one of the most stable um, uh, uh, things that exist, uh, the most durable. Um, gold, the whole world, the whole world, many cultures right through history all over the world have recognised the value of gold. Um, if you're keen on the Olympic Games, you, you know, the, the athletes want to win gold at the Olympics. But an Olympic athlete who is a Christian is very happy to say, you can take my gold medal, you can't take away my faith. A rich man can say, you can take away my money, but you can't take away my faith. Um, So we need to be able to say, you can take away my health, my comfort, my abilities, but you cannot take away my faith. Faith is more precious than gold. Gold, durable, it seems that it lasts forever. Actually, it only lasts a little while, says Peter, but the outcome of faith lasts forever. And then then secondly, faith has something in common with gold. Both faith and gold are tested, purified by, by trials. You know, um, I think about gold rushes. What comes into your mind when you think of a gold rush? Doesn't it, doesn't it picture in your mind uh, the idea of men going out and finding nuggets of gold in the beds of rivers and creeks? That's what it conjures up in my mind anyway. And a lot of gold has been found that way. You know, you just pick it up. <laughs> but, but nowadays, it takes... Uh, usually gold is not discovered in that way. Nowadays... Gold is separated from gold ore. And there's a huge amount of work involved. According to my encyclopedia, to make one 35 kilo brick of gold, okay, 35 kilo brick of gold, you need to, you need to process 3 million tonnes of gold ore. 3 million tonnes of gold ore for every 35 kilo brick. It's a lot of dross, isn't it? One brick of gold, huge mountain of dross. Um, gold melts at 1,063 degrees Celsius. That's pretty hot. There's a, a huge amount of heat and work involved in purifying gold. But of course the substance left over, uh, the, the brick, after the purifying process is finished, the brick, well, it's worth its weight in what? worth its weight in gold. Now, Peter is saying that faith is like that. It is tested and purified in adverse circumstances. In in fact, Peter is saying that trials come for that reason, to test and purify, purify our faith. These trials have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. Trials come to refine and purify the faith of God's people. Now, suffering comes into the world for lots of reasons, doesn't it? One of the, one of the main huge biblical themes 
is that suffering comes into the world because of sin. Not, not one-to-one, not, not one-to-one, personal, you know, single personal sin, single personal suffering, not a one-to-one relationship, but the universe is suffering because of the entry of sin into our world. And we're all involved in this. I have, a, I have a Christian friend who is suffering from diabetes. My friend is suffering from diabetes because of my sin. Okay? My friend is suffering from diabetes because of my sin. Now, it's not a one-to-one ratio. You know, not I committed a certain sin, so God zapped my friend with diabetes. It's not one-to-one like that. But... But he has diabetes because sin has come into the universe and I'm involved in that. I'm part of that. Uh, So he has diabetes because of my sin and because of his sin and because of your sin and because of all. We're all involved because of our sin. But my friend is also a Christian. And so in his case, there's another reason why he's suffering from diabetes. He is also suffering from diabetes so that his faith might be refined and purified. God judges the world because of sin. Diabetes is part of the judgment. Non-Christians do not get any benefit out of their diabetes. It's just part of the curse, part of the judgment. But my friend who is a Christian can gain some benefit out of his diabetes because his suffering can lead to a refining and purifying of his faith. Joe read earlier from Psalm 66. Verses 10 to 12 of that psalm say, For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our back. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us out to a place of abundance. Isaiah 48 verse 10, God says to his people, See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Why did God send his people, why did God send his people Israel into exile in Babylon? Well, he did it so that he might Purify them so that he might renew their sinful hearts so that they could again be God's people. Without the punishment, without the judgment of exile, the renewal and the purification of God's people would never have happened. The trials that God sends to us can burn away the impurities in our faith. God's purpose for trials is that they might help to form genuine purified faith in us. Now I say that suffering can burn away the impurities in your faith. I'm not saying that it will. It's a possibility. 
not a definite outcome. It won't happen automatically. Why is that? Because it depends on how you suffer. Are the trials in your life achieving God's purpose for them? It is possible that the trials that you experience are making you bitter, are making you angry, are hardening you against God. That seems to have been the effect. You know, when I was preaching that that sermon on Psalm 13, it seems to have been the effect on that woman who spoke to me. Her suffering had hardened her against God. She didn't want to hear. So how can you suffer well? How can the trials and pains in your life produce the blessing that God intends for it to have? That leads us to our third point. First of all, the sufferings you experience is necessary. Secondly, the suffering you experience has a purpose. Thirdly, the suffering you experience can have a magnificent outcome if you suffer well. Peter speaks of this. Um, These, that is, these sufferings have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Suffering well means consciously looking to Jesus Christ, looking to him in your suffering, treasuring him, thanking him for all that he has done for you. No one has ever suffered like he did during his earthly life, and then, of course, especially on the cross. His suffering was his pathway to glory. You know, just just a couple of verses later, in verse 11, Peter speaks about the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. His suffering led to glory. And so will yours as you follow him and trust him. Now you're thinking, well, that's not very encouraging, John. I mean, I'm no hero. It's okay to speak about suffering in the abstract, but I'm not a hero of the faith. I don't have a robust faith. When trials come, I just collapse. Uh, I can't praise and trust God when pain strikes. I can't sing hymns of praise. I can't sing that chorus which goes, you know, uh, with Jesus in my heart, I'm, uh, how's it go? I'm uh, happy, 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 happy all the time. I can't sing that chorus. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a, I haven't got strong, I I haven't got a strong enough faith to persevere. Well, that's not really the question. The question is, do I believe in Jesus Christ? Do I set my hope? on the glory to be revealed. All who trust in Jesus Christ will be able to suffer well. 
The size of your faith is not important. Peter's not talking about the size of your faith. He's talking about the genuineness of your faith. A faith as small as a mustard seed can move a mountain. Suffering, hardship, trials, death, they are all part of the curse. They are part of God's judgment on his creation because of sin. But for the Christian, the curse has been lifted. Jesus Christ has suffered the penalties of the curse for you. When you suffer, God is not punishing you. He is purifying you. And your faith, which is more precious than gold, will result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Let's come to God in prayer. Our gracious Father in heaven, this world which you have made perfect has fallen into sin and corruption and is under judgment. And we know that this has happened because of the human race's rebellion against you. And so suffering and death have entered into our experience. Ah, oh, praise be to you, Lord, that you did not leave us alone. You did not leave us to our chosen fate. Through Jesus Christ, you cancelled the curse for your people and one day you will redeem the whole creation. Even as we suffer now, we know that there is an end in sight and that you have given us a glorious hope. We pray that you would use our sufferings to purify our faith. Lord, if our faith is more precious than gold, please use our trials to make it shine. Help us to know that whatever you ordain for us is always right, that you're always good. It's hard to see that sometimes, Lord, but we thank you that one day we will see it and we will know without doubt that your ways have always been right. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.